Pastors and church planners around the world need your help to receive a confessional Reformed Baptist theological education. Introducing the William Carey Scholarship Fund at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. You can help students like Sam in India afford seminary training and Bible software with thousands of critically needed theological books. To learn how you can help, visit cbtseminary.org slash carry. You are listening to Sermon Select on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. tonight as we continue our study. And uh, for those of you who may be here and have not heard me mention this this book, this is called Strengthening Your Marriage by Wayne Mack. It's a wonderful presentation of God's plan for marriage. And it's also a workbook that is good to study through and look up the scriptures. We're working in a rough outline according to this book, and it would be good for you if you would like to do this to follow through and read the chapters ahead of time or do some of the work. Tonight I'll be talking about the role of husbands, and we'll be coming back to it later, but um, next week we'll be talking about communication in the home, which is in this chapter or in this book. And uh, then we'll be coming back to husbands and wives again to deal with specific areas that we need to work on in our marriages. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is defining the spirit-filled life in chapter 5. He says in verse 18 that we're not to get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. That's the command. That is, that we are to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us and live by faith each day, depending upon God's strength as we live. And that Spirit-filled life looks like a certain kind of life. It's a life which is affected in our worship in verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Christians are to sing from the heart. As Paul said, he was to, he sang from the heart. We also are to give thanks in verse 20. Thanksgiving is to be a part of our attitude and prayers as we worship and as we live. And in verse 21, we're to be filled with the Spirit and be subject to one another or being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There is a, a mutual respect and submission that Christians are to show one another as fellow members of the body of Christ, people whom God loved enough to send His Son to die for, and which therefore deserves the kind of respect and honor that God has put upon them. And we're to treat each other in that manner. And he continues that Spirit-filled life in verse 22 with wives being subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, and then to husbands. So let's read it, verse 22 and following. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. 
For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself. And let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the scriptures which guide us in a, in a world that is changing daily. Today, there are voices that are trying experimental approaches to the family and to marriage, claiming that the, the pattern that you set down in the scriptures is, is past and is not true and is not necessary. And yet we do not see marriages and families getting better. We see them getting worse. And we ask that you would cause us to deal with the truth of whether or not Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he has risen from the dead, and therefore all of his instructions on marriage and all of the instructions which his inspired apostles gave us are true. And they are worthy for us to build upon by faith, even even at times when we do not understand their intent and meaning, that they are true and that we can trust them just as we can trust Him. And we pray that You would help us to do that in our marriages and in our homes and in our church. That Jesus Christ may be glorified and the Gospel would have free reign in our hearts. We pray for love as we have been loved in our homes. We pray for grace in our homes as we have been given grace. We pray for forgiveness in our homes as we have been forgiven. For charity and patience in our homes as we have been shown charity and patience. And for self-denial. For we have a God who spared not His own Son for ourselves that He might make us something that we were not before. So help us to understand this great pattern of love, an example of love that has been set before us, that we men may be true men and real men. Men that know how to deny themselves and give their lives for the good of others, especially our wives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we saw in verse 22 that it is very clear that God has told wives to be subject to their own husbands as to the Lord. And in verse 24, that as the church is subject to Christ, that is, we, we want Him to tell us what to do. We want His Word to be the rule of our lives as God's people. So also the wives ought to be to their husbands subject in everything. That there is a principle of headship in verse 23 that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. And therefore, the wives are to honor their husbands and to, to be subject to them in everything that is not sin. And that covers a whole lot of things. There are many things that are indifferent in this world that do not matter in eternity. What matters is our character and our love, but things of the household, things that we purchase and buy, these things aren't going to last. Things that we have as necessity to get along in this world, which we will not need in the next, are not meant to be battlegrounds between husbands and wives. But the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. And so wives are to be subject to their husbands in everything. This does not mean that the wife cannot express her opinion, and we're going to talk about that next week. For some interpret it that way, and that's not biblical. But we are to understand that if a wife has trouble being subject to her husband and things that are not sin, following his counsel, 
following his desires and wishes and even his, his commands at times. The problem is not the husband with her. The problem is Jesus Christ. For she is to love Christ and keep His commandments, which include, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And the power to do this with, with love and devotion to Christ is necessary in order to honor the husband. But we're going to come back to how this works out practically in a week or two. Today we turn to the husbands. And the command is very clear in this passage. There's no question the husband's the head of the wife. He has headship, spiritual leadership, authority in the home. And God has made us that way, whether we like it or not. But above all, He is commanded in this passage that His duty to His wife is to love her. That the headship of the husband is never to be used in a tyrannical way or a selfish way. But to look to Jesus Christ and to see how one is loved by Him, how intensively we are loved, how extensively we are loved by Him, how charitably we are loved by Him. Having tasted of His salvation and having seen His spilled blood for our soul, having seen Him gird Himself about with a towel to wash the feet of His disciples, we come as godly men and strong men to our wives to deny ourselves for their good. Somehow in heaven, the Bible teaches that Christ will gird Himself again and serve us. We tend to think of Him sitting on the throne in His glory, and He is. And that glorious One shall once again step down according to His own parable when He comes and gird Himself and welcome us into heaven as a servant king. Away with this concept of manhood that stomps around with muscles and might, proclaiming his headship as loud as he can. Let the strength of manhood be found in one who is like Jesus Christ, who spared himself not even the cross for the good of his bride. Husbands, love your wives is the command. If Christ were only loving and He had no power or authority, He could not save us. His love is not sentimental without ability. If Christ were only powerful and authoritative and sovereign, He would not want to save us. For the very motive of our salvation is rooted in the loving character of our merciful God. But the fact that He is both powerful and loving is why we love Him. So must a husband's love be like Christ. A benevolent, kind rule of love. Does your wife think of you this way, men? Strong and loving. Wise and kind. Dependable and patient. More forgiving of his wife than he's willing to even forgive himself of his failures. How does your wife think of you as she watches you? What kind of love does she see that defines your headship in the home? Dr. Lloyd-Jones preached a series on Ephesians 5, which I highly recommend. Highly. 
encourage you to get his books and read, read whatever he wrote. And he mentions in this passage three kinds of love that were floating about in the ancient world, which he says must be in any kind of marriage. And these words are Greek words, meaning eros, phileo, and agape. They are three words of love that have different definitions. And only the last two words, phileo and agape, are mentioned in the New Testament specifically. We call it agape love, or Philadelphia love, brotherly love. The first word is eros, and this is the world's word for love in the Greek and Roman world and in the world today. It essentially looks on a man-woman relationship as the mutual fulfillment of their felt needs and sensual desires. So men and women basically, according to Eros love, bond together briefly or for long periods of time for one main purpose. They meet each other's needs. They like what they see. They like what they feel from each other. It is a kind of love that may be defined this way. I love you because you please me. And sadly, it always works out is I will love you only as long as you please me. It is built upon carnal things, fleshly things. I fear that many marriages of professing Christians have begun this way. Physical attractions. And sometimes those who are professing Christians in marriage think the marriage is still based on this. How insecure this is for the wife. Always having to keep her husband happy and interested by outdoing the beauty of other women, by covering every wrinkle, by not letting her husband see her without makeup, having to fulfill a particular idea to make sure that he will stay with her, that he will be kind to her, and that he will love her. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, God defines what is love, I mean, what is the beauty that a godly woman is to have. And it isn't just women that should read this passage. Men should read this passage and evaluate what is your standard for beauty in a woman. In verse 8 of chapter 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as befits women making a claim to godliness. Peter talks about the gentle and quiet spirit that is beautiful. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised says King Agar in Proverbs 31. The problem is our standard of beauty. I'm not saying that wives should not try to please their husbands by being as beautiful as they can be. And there are some who have overreacted to the world's standard of beauty in this manner. You need to understand that the Song of Solomon is a standard for husband-wife love. And the husband fixed himself up and the wife fixed herself up. To make each other as beautiful and attractive to each other as they could be. Not to fulfill their own selfish desires, but to love and to serve the other. What I am saying is this, that beauty is defined by God and it is not eros love that God wants to see primarily in the relationship between a man and a woman. I am saying this to husbands, that your wife must never feel 
that your love is conditional upon her outward appearance. Never in a million years, never for your entire marriage, should your affection for her, your attention to her, and your love for her be conditioned upon her outward appearance. You should not compare her to other women. You should not criticize her appearance unless you think it's fair game for her to criticize yours. Maybe you're not so great either. And it might make her wonder, does he really love me as I am? Warts and all? Gray hairs and all? Will he stay with me into old age? When the beauty of my youth turns to a different kind of beauty? And why is he looking at these other women anyway to compare me to? What do you say to your wives when you hold them on the string of physical beauty and teach them that your love is conditioned by physical and sensual desires? Do they feel secure in your love? Do they feel loved as Christ has first loved you? Is Christ conditional in His love with you? Put on a little makeup and I'll love you more, He says. Shed a few pounds and I'll love you better. Get your life right and straight. Do what you're supposed to do. I'll love you then. Of course He doesn't say such things to us because His love is a love of grace and kindness. An unconditional love that does not love us for what we are, but because He would love to make us what we are not and what we should be. In Ezekiel chapter 16, there is a passage where God defines what Israel looked like when He loved her and married her. It is a passage that some people do not like to read in church, but I feel like God's Word is to be read in church. In Ezekiel 16, I want you to notice the kind of love attached to physical beauty that God has. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing, nor were you rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, Live! Live! Live, I said to you while you were in your blood. Live! I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet and I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk, and I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck, and also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so that you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced in Royal, to royalty. 
Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord. The Lord did not love Israel because she was beautiful. And the Lord did not love you because you were wonderful. He loved you because He's a gracious God that takes those parts of humanity that are full of sin and ugliness and out of benevolence and kindness takes them into His bosom and makes them His. That's the kind of love that our wives ought to feel from us. That is manly love. Physical love and attraction is part of marriage. That's why 1 Corinthians 7 is so plain. That husbands and wives are to give themselves to each other to please one another in that wonderful bond that God has given us. But that is not the basis for marriage. In fact, the Bible says that husbands are to be ravished with their wives to drink water from their own cistern, to rejoice in the wife of their youth, and to be intoxicated with her love. It's a wonderful thing. But the love of the world makes heiress all of love. And Christians are not to be a part of that kind of world. The Christian man makes his wife as secure in His unconditional love as Christ does to the man. Does your wife feel that way? Or do your demands about her physical appearance make her feel that she is after all inadequate and only conditionally loved? The second word for love in the Bible or that is found in the Bible, is phileo, or brotherly love. And it is used in the Bible for both brotherly, companionship, family, and friendship love. The worldly people love in a phileo kind of love, a brotherly kind of love. In the Scriptures, it is used of a father and mother's love for a child, and a child's love for their parents. There's a general kind of love here, a companionship kind of love. It's used of next door neighbors and friends who borrow bread from each other. It's used of the world that loves its own. There's even a camaraderie in sin. And it's used of heroism in the world. When a man lays down his life for a friend, he loves his friend. And so the world knows how to form companionships and mutual deeds to each other and affection and friendship and even to some degree a sacrifice. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you love others who love you, what do you more than others? For even the Gentiles, the unbelievers love those that love them. The companionship kind of love looks like love. And there's some value to it, even in the Christian church. But it is not all there is to love. Jesus loved Lazarus in brotherly love. He loved John and Peter in brotherly love. He was called the friend of sinners and publicans in that he loved them. Christians are to love one another in this way, a love of companionship and brotherliness. And there's even to be a love for Christ like this, not just loving Him because He's God, but loving Him because He's our companion. If any man does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, love Him as a brother, love Him as a companion, love Him as a friend, let him be anathema, Paul said. There is a Christian phileo. If a husband is to have this friendship love for other believers, which we have already seen, 
And as Christ loved his disciples and companions, then surely a husband is to love his wife this way. With a brotherly love. In fact, marriage is called a covenant of companionship in the scriptures. The measure of our love for our wife in this kind of love is the answer to these questions to husbands. Who is your best friend? Who do you enjoy being with the most in this life? Who do you entrust with your deepest problems, desires, and needs? Whose opinion do you treasure more than anyone else's on the face of this earth? Upon whom do you rest your deepest affection, companionship, conversation, and friendship? Whose needs do you desire most to fulfill and minister to on the face of this earth before all others outside of the home? Who are you most fond of in this life? I believe that a husband's love for his wife in the phileo sense means that she is to be his best friend and choicest companion as the Song of Solomon so wonderfully explains. But you may say, well, my wife is not as understanding and sympathetic and unselfish as other friends I have. And I have to go to other friends in order to get those needs of mine met. Who said your needs had to be met? Jesus didn't. The needs that we have are needs that are eternal, heaven and hell. Knowing God, they are met fine in Christ. We don't have to have every earthly need we feel a desire for met. Maybe the reason that a husband and wife are not such good friends and companions in brotherly love is because one or both of them have continued to seek companionship with other, from others that should be sought first at home. Maybe you haven't forced yourself to get along. Forced yourself to learn each other's strengths and weaknesses and learn how to love. Husband's love must be marked by phileo love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. How did Jesus love His disciples? Same way He loves us. He walked with them. He talked with them. He fished with them. He slept with them. He prayed with them. He laughed with them. He suffered with them. He stayed with them. Heaven is a place where we are always with Christ in a way that can now only be tasted by faith in believing He is always with us. Husbands, does your wife feel that you enjoy her presence? You enjoy her presence. That you like to be around her. And you hate to leave her. This isn't puppy love. This is godly love. Modeled after one who laid down his hands to be pierced so that He could never leave us or forsake us. If you have no heart for this kind of friendship and companionship with your wife, then what you need is a clearer picture of and a deeper experience of the love of Jesus Christ for your soul. 
so that your heart will be moved to have compassion and love for your wife as Christ has first loved you. And I call you to come to Christ and understand what the Bible teaches about His desire to be with you, His enjoyment of you, His preparing a place for you and the truth that He will never leave you or forsake you and learn at His feet how to love a woman as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. The third word for love that is so common in the Scriptures and I believe was invented by Christians is agapao or agape love. It is often called divine love. There's eros love, there's phileo love, and there's agape or agape love. It is the love that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22. The first fruit that shows that the Holy Spirit has worked in a person's heart is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The first fruit is love. In Ephesians 5.25, the command to a husband in how to be head of his wife is to love his wife. As Christ agapaoed his church, loved his church and gave himself up for her. This love has different kinds of characteristics. It is first a distinguishing kind of love. It is a love that is supernatural. Anybody can have Eros love that's born of woman. Anybody can have phileo love and never know the name of Christ. But only Christians can have agapao love, divine love. It's a distinguishing kind of love because it is based on the kind of love that Jesus Christ had for the church. That is why boys and girls and men and women the Bible says marry only in the Lord. If you marry someone who does not know Jesus Christ, it is impossible for them to love you well. And it is impossible for you to love them well. If you are not a Christian, they can be good looking, just exactly what you want. And you can get along fine for a little while. But when patience is required and forgiveness is needed, when there needs to be self-denial and sacrifice, and you're stuck there with two stubborn wills that will not submit to God or to each other, how are you going to work your problems out? But what if both were willing to submit their will to God together? to come to God's Word and say, Honey, let's solve this problem before the Lord. Marry only in the Lord. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The biggest yoke there is is marriage. Only in the Lord. That is why Christian marriage should be a worship service, I believe. A time when a man and a woman before the Lord come together and take vows. I will serve the Lord by serving this person. I will love the Lord by loving this person. I believe the Puritans had it wrong. The first Puritans in America did not observe worship service marriages. They had a civil ceremony because they were reacting to the Roman Catholic idea of marriage where you come into a church and you observe a mass and are married. So they had no worship service marriages. It took them a while to understand that they could worship the Lord and take vows without having a mass. 
and commit themselves to the Lord together with a clear conscience rather than just in reaction to what they did. There's a divine element in marriage that is before the Lord. It requires grace to be married. It requires love in the heart to be married. And only a spirit-filled heart can understand that divine love and do it in the home. It is secondly, a love that is modeled on Christ's love for the church. And there are several characteristics to Christ's love for the church. It is unselfish. In spite of our unworthiness, our deficiencies, and our sinfulness. And it does not waver. Christ's love is perfect. And it is infinite. And it doesn't change. Because you're not perfect. And are finite. And a husband's love is not to waver because his wife makes mistakes and sins. It is a benevolent love. It is not because we are beautiful and glorious that Christ loved us, but He loved us to make us beautiful and glorious. That He might present the church to Himself in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He did not need us. He was not lonely. And He could have walked right by us and left us in the field squirming in our blood. When no man loved our soul. But He came back to us. And He cleaned us up and He clothed us and He married us. And made us His. And set before godly men forever the standard of benevolence and kindness and self-denial that they are to have toward their wives. Marriage is not a business to get something. It is a business to give something. To find a person whom you wish to dedicate your life to the rest of your life. And make them as gloriously happy in the Lord as they can possibly be. And if you never get a nickel out of it, praise be to God. Because He has loved you overwhelmingly in the death of His Son for yourself. All selfishness must flee from a marriage. Our Lord Jesus Christ was benevolent toward His people. And he never acted independently of his people once he committed himself to them. It says in Ephesians 1.22 that the church is the fullness of him who fills all things. Can you imagine such a thing? The body in verse 23, the fullness of him who fills all things. Jesus never acts independently of the church anymore. He doesn't take His Savior hat off and do other things. He is always bound to us now in His humanity, perfectly joined to His divinity as a mediator between God and men, and shall stay in that position till the end of eternity whenever that could possibly be. Because He has so joined His person to His people that He never acts without their interest upon His heart again in the universe, in history. Everything that happens is for the sake of the church, according to the Bible. And everything in heaven is being planned for the sake of the church and the glory of God. Because He has attached Himself to His bride and the two have become one. Our Lord no longer thinks of Himself as a man without a woman. His bride is always on His heart all the time. He doesn't go out with the boys of the Trinity. He's always at home with His bride. The third characteristic is redemptive. 
Christ has given himself for us to present us to himself, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and blameless before him. Christ will not be satisfied until his self-sacrifice for us and the governing of the universe produces a perfect, happy, and contented bride. And he will stop at nothing until he does that and makes her so beautiful and holy that she is an adornment at his side. This is where the doctrine of divine election comes in. His is a redemptive love. And it's always amazed me, it seems to me that women would love the doctrine of particular redemption. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has selected His people to be His bride from all the peoples of the earth. In Old Testament Israel, in Deuteronomy 7 and 10, God told Israel, I didn't select you because you were more numerous and more powerful and better than the other peoples of the earth. I simply set my love upon you and made you my people. I chose you by divine election to be my people. And in the Bible, Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Just exactly what Ephesians 5 says He's making His bride to be. I love the doctrine of adoption where a man goes into an orphanage and he selects a child to bear his name and be his own. Nobody criticizes him for the other children he left there. When you take a wife, does everybody come up to you and say, how come you didn't select these other women to be your wives? Of course not. Because we know there's no obligation to marry everyone. There's no obligation to adopt everyone. And Jesus had no obligation to marry anyone. But if He has shed His blood for your soul and wooed your heart to come to Him as your bridegroom, you can know one thing. He chose you to be His. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never divorce you. And will always love you. Christ loved the church. and gave Himself up for her. The Bible love of a man for his wife is that distinguishing, unconditional, sacrificial, benevolent, redemptive, and electing love of God which sets its affection upon sinners forever. We are called upon to love our neighbors like that. We are called to love our enemies. of a gracious God. He must go back to the cross and see how far he's supposed to love his wife. How far he's supposed to deny his own preferences. How much he's to think of everything she needs and provide it. How tender and compassionate he must be with her sins and weaknesses so that she can learn from Him, how to forgive, how to be patient, how to be kind. Oh, the love of God in Christ is a man's kind of love. But we have to be strong in the Lord to do it. If you cannot love your wife this way and do not love your wife this way, I call you to come back to Jesus Christ. To taste the grace which spilled His blood upon the cross for your soul. To come to Christ in repentance for sin against your wives. Of abandoning them if you did. 
of criticizing them if you have, of making them feel unloved and conditionally loved. I call you to repent of those things and come to Christ for renewed mercy and cleansing and forgiveness and for that process of coming to Him to learn once again how to love your wife. How you're to treat her as you have been treated. How to sacrifice your needs for hers, how to forgive her sins, and how to help her and teach her and lead her to become the most beautiful, faithful Christian she can be. And if she sins against you and does not submit to you as she should, then just remember Christ forgives you for being the same woman. And loves you still. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not puffed up. It does not seek its own way. It hopes all things. It believes all things. It endures all things. And the greatest thing about the love of God is that it never fails. God forgive us husbands when our wives do not see the love of Christ in us. But let us flee back to Christ so that they may see such things and have hope. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this week's Sermon Select on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.